Welcome to all of you, and especially those of you who are new. My name is Alan, and thrilled that you're here with us. I want to take you back about a year and a half to Easter 2010, and Juno Smalley, one of our pastors, came up and greeted everyone, and he had something uh, really interesting to say. So check this out. Well, what a great morning to be worshiping together here. Hey, I see people are still standing. We do have some seats down front, some over here. Uh, Margo's here. She's single. There's two seats, mid-20s, so uh, a couple spots here. Yeah, she just, I see that hand. Oh, I see a few hands. Oh, a few more hands. Okay. Awesome. Hey, uh, oh, her father's here too, so uh, let's have a little dialogue there. Year and a half, I was sitting right there when Juno did that, and that's one of those times where I just go, no, 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 you didn't. And uh, I mean, that, that's, that was not the first time that Juno said something inappropriate from the stage. It won't be the last. It's just part of being a family. Uh, but something was pretty uh, interesting about that, that, that maybe he was inappropriate, but he may have had some power because Margo, the one who he talked about sitting over here, uh, then since then has met a uh, young man named Jordan. And this week we had a celebration in our staff because Margo's now on staff with us and they got engaged this week. Yeah, they're sitting over here right there. Woo! So there you go. If you're single, just come on Easter and uh, you never know what God can do, right? Uh, it's, it's good stuff, and uh, you are all invited to their wedding and reception. It's just, it's, it's true. Should have run that one by your dad, too, maybe. But, but uh, okay, anyway, moving right along. Uh, for fall break, a week and a half ago, I took the family to the Grand Canyon. And I'd been there a few times, but the family had never been there, so we were very excited about going. And our youngest, uh, her name is Lila, and she's six. She wanted to write a narrative of our journey to the Grand Canyon. So she's right behind me in the van, and she's uh, just for fun and kind of to, you know, pass the time. She is writing what's going on. So she's doing her version of the story. We entered into the park. Uh, we stopped uh, to take pictures uh, by the edge with the, with the beautiful Grand Canyon. Uh, my big brother threatened to throw me over, and mommy screamed. And I mean, it's all her version of what happened. It's the beautiful story from the perspective of a six-year-old. Then we all got back in the van after those pictures, and we were going to the parking lot on top of Bright Angel, which if you're familiar with the South Rim, that's uh, one of the most, one of the more popular trails there. And, and uh, my plan was to go there, park, and then take one of the buses over to another trail with less people and kind of have the experience that way. Well, I had never been to the Grand Canyon when it was this crowded. It was jam-packed with the fall break deal, and there was not a parking space available. It was just, it was just crazy. We were driving around, and, and because I had told Lila, the narrator of our story, because I had told her the plan, she had already written, take bus, go down other trail. 
And so uh, here she was getting all upset because I'm starting to say, I'm not sure we can make this work. I can't get a parking spot. I don't know. I mean, the, the stress level in the van was, was starting to go up. And, and I didn't know. There were so many buses and so many people, and I didn't know where the buses were going. I didn't know how this was going to work. So I'm trying to tell Lila, I don't think we're going to take the bus to another place. And she's getting all upset because that's what she already wrote in her book. And for some reason, that thing that she's writing is putting pressure on me to do it that way. Um, <laughs> The whole thing was starting to get out of hand, and we finally got a parking spot, and I decided we've got to simplify this. Let's get to a trail, because that's what we're here for. So let's get to Bright Angel Trail. And, and then uh, Lila, as she's walking, she's frustrated, and she says, now my story's going to have to be fiction, and, <laughs> which at the time was not funny, because it's like, just let's go. And, and it wasn't until later on in the day we thought that was really quite funny, that she was all frustrated. It's, I got a shift to fiction. But the reality is, it's a precocious little thing, and uh, that the writer of a story has a whole lot of power. The one with the pen has a whole lot of power. It's the writer of the story that can change the weather. They can say, you know, I want the story to move in a certain direction here, so now I want to bring a big storm in and hail and perhaps a hurricane. I want to change the complete direction of the story. I want to introduce characters. I want to change somebody's character, somebody's heart. The writer of a story has tremendous power. It's one of the draws for those who write stories. They love to be able to go in and say, I want to enter into this story, and I have the power to take it wherever I want to take it. Well, we are wrapping up this section of the whole shebang called The Unwritten, and we're looking at our story. We're looking at our part in God's overall story, our unwritten story. And so the question I have for you this morning is, who's writing your story? Who is the one holding the pen in your story? Is it you who's writing your story? Is it God who's writing your story? I mean, is the whole thing already laid out, and then you are just kind of living it out? And then if you make a mistake or make a bad choice, then do you kind of go into plan B? Because that, that wasn't the story that God had written for you, and then now there'll be a, a different story, and maybe you'll get kind of grafted back into your old story. How does it all work? Who's writing this story? If God is the author, does he have the power to change the weather the way a, a writer might in a, in a novel? change the hearts of characters in the story, introduce new characters? Is that God's role? Does God sometimes write, take the bus before we even take the bus? Who's writing your story? That's what we're going to take a look at as we wrap up the unwritten part. Would you bow your heads with me briefly? Father, we want to connect with you here today. That the whole story concept is beautiful and, it, and it, draw, it draws me in personally. God, I pray that you would uh, supernaturally and wonderfully take this from a concept to very, very close. That you would address our stories. The, our character here today. We invite you to come and do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Ephesians is one of those little books that were written by Paul in the middle of the New Testament. We have the Gospels and then Acts and Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians and then these, these four little books 
that I, uh, I've told you this before, but I do General Electric Power Company. That's the way I remember the order of the books. My son, my kids do uh, God Eats Popcorn for uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, whatever uh, hurts, uh, sorry, whatever helps you uh, in your uh, journey there. Ephesians chapter 5, again, written by Paul. Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 15, he writes this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Let me pause there. These first three verses that I'm going to read, I think, are a wonderful connection to what we've been talking about over these last few weeks with the unwritten story, if you've been with us for this whole journey. Be, be, be careful how you live your lives. That's what we talked about in terms of the character arc. This, this arc that a writer will take a character from where they are to where they want them to go. And it's the how. How do we get there? That our beliefs shape our actions. It's what we talked about a few ways back. And then verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. A couple weeks ago, Beth, our student ministry pastor, talked about obstacles that we have in our journey of developing our character. And she did the death-defying walk on the balance beam, which I would never do. Uh, and so uh, she's just talking about these obstacles and when the days are evil and the days are hard. In verse 17, the next verse, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Here we've talked about the character quest. May we seek a quest for our lives and not just stumble from day to day, month to month, I got through 2011, but may we have a quest. May we have an ambition. A character in a story without an ambition is a boring character. And that's, those are not the lives that we want to live. May we have some kind of quest. Maybe we don't know exactly what God's will is for us right now, but may we at least be seeking it and at least shooting for something. And then here's where I want to land here this morning. Verse 18, the next verse. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What Paul's talking about here is who's in control of your life. Who's the one with the pen? Who's writing the story? There's a natural connection that we have with regard to having control in our lives and wanting to have the pen in our hand to, to say, I want to write this story. Remember, Neo in the movie Matrix. He says, I don't like the idea of, of me not being in control of my life. He struggled with that. There's a theme in a number of movies. Darth Vader himself, he says, fulfill your destiny. And so, so he, what he's saying is, this is the, the quest, the journey, Luke, that I think you're supposed to be on. So you make the decisions to be able to do that because you get to fulfill your destiny. You are in control of that. In a classic Seinfeld episode, they talked about wanting to be the master of their domain. Okay, that was a totally different topic. But, <laughs> but the concept is there nonetheless. This idea of wanting to be in control of our lives. Wanting to be the ones holding the pen. Wanting to be the ones who are, who are, who are telling the story. Which makes the whole idea of drunkenness pretty fascinating in terms of why it is a desire... For, uh, for us to enter into that or for persons to enter into that. And I know that uh, uh, nobody in this room has experienced that. I certainly 
have not uh, when I was in high school and college, but, but I, I've heard about it from other people. And what happens when you get drunk is you surrender control of your life. You hand the pen over to the alcohol. Because you're saying, here, I am going to give the pen over to the alcohol. And the alcohol then decides what I say and what I do and whether I drive or not and who I sleep with. And it so often, the drunkenness so often leads to terrible decisions. How many times have some of the, most, some of the worst decisions we've made in our lives had some connection to alcohol? Some connection to surrendering our brain a little bit or a lot. As Paul says, it leads to debauchery, which basically means an immoral lifestyle, immoral decisions. Now, I'm not talking about alcohol this morning. It's not about being drunk. It's about who's in control of your life. It's about who's holding the pen that tells the story of your life. Who is it that we're, that we're giving that control to? Is it some uh, substance outside of us, like alcohol? Is it a person? Is it your parents? Is it your employer? Who's pulling the strings? Is it you? Are you the one who just, who just wants to hang on to that pen every day of your life? That is, a, that is something you want to have full control over. If so, as you look back on your life, the good and the bad, how has it turned out for you to hold the pen, to, to remain in control. There's one verse in the Bible that refers to Jesus as the author of life. That's the title of the message today. I love that phrase. I love that description of, of, of God being the author of life, the one who writes the story, who breathes life into us. And so the question today is, are you willing to surrender the pen to the author of of life. Are you willing to do that? And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul sets this in terms of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I ask you, uh, uh, this will be a safe raised hand, but raise your hand if you've heard of the concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You've heard of that concept, heard that phrase or whatever. Most people. Now, keep your hand up if you would, please. Keep it up if you per feel pretty confident in terms of what that means, what that looks like. Otherwise, put it down. Okay, a little more, a little hesitation. Maybe some, maybe about half, or have to put your hands down. Thank you very much. Thanks for participating in that. That the, the whole concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that we have heard more about than we've experienced personally for most of us. Most of us. It's a, there's a very big difference between hearing about something, learning about something, and actually experiencing it. There's a big difference between those two. I would guess that a number of you were here on uh, September 11th of this year when we uh, 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 honored and remembered the 10th anniversary of what happened on September 11th. And uh, it was a very moving and powerful uh, service here. And I suspect that you remember how the whole thing ended, where we had the bagpipes come in and walk down the aisle. I've heard from a number of people saying that they were okay, they were hanging on emotionally until they heard the bagpipes. Boom, there's something about that sound that just resonates at a level that other instruments do not resonate. You cannot duplicate the sound of a bagpipe. We were thinking as we were planning for that day, don't have anything follow the bagpipe. 
You don't want to have a bagpipe come in and then play the guitar afterwards. You just don't. You don't have anything follow a bagpipe. It's just in a unique, it's just in a unique uh, 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 place. It just resonates deep within our gut. It's one thing to see a picture of a bagpipe and have a very good description of the sound and the power of the bagpipe. It's a whole other thing to hear the bagpipe for yourself, to feel it for yourself. And similarly with the Holy Spirit, it's one thing to hear about being filled with the Holy Spirit, to hear with great clarity what that looks like and, and such. It's a whole other deal to be able to personally hear from the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things. And being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we personally get to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the important things we need to understand kind of on the get-go with regard to the Holy Spirit is that He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's part of the Trinity. Three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But sometimes the Holy Spirit kind of draws the short straw in terms of, of these three persons who make up our Trinity. That we're very familiar, most of us, to God the Father, the Father, the Creator, the Pursuer of our soul. And we're familiar with Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And then sometimes there's that third one. Oh yeah, I mean that, that third one. Let me just ask you, what's wrong with this short sentence? See if you can detect what's wrong with this. The Holy Spirit is my comforter. It gives me wisdom when I am in need. What's wrong with that sentence? There you go. But you were listening. I mean, you knew that you were, you were paying attention to something was wrong in there. We refer to the Holy Spirit as it. We never say God loves me. It cares for me. We never say that about the other two. It's the Holy Spirit that we refer to as an it. We often uh, uh, think of, some think of the Holy Spirit as, as an entity or an aura or a, um, a force. And, and, and uh, earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't grieve an entity or an essence or an aura. We grieve a person. And so it is, it is, uh, it is essential for us to embrace the reality that the Holy Spirit is a person. You know, prior to, uh, 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 prior to the 1950s, he was typically referred by another phrase. It wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost! And, uh, and that's what you'll find in, in older translations. The King James Bible is going to talk about the Holy Ghost more. But what happened in the 50s is that in the English Western vernacular, the concept of ghost became negative. It became evil. It became uh, you know, haunted and, and, and bad. And so they wanted to pull the concept of ghost out of the Christian vernacular. So they, they pulled the word ghost and inserted the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. Holy Spirit is a great phrase for that. But there's a little bit lost in terms of the, in terms of when we think of a Holy Ghost, at least there's some kind of form 
or shape. And that helps us to remember there is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I find myself sometimes uh, using uh, an it to represent the Holy Spirit. Eh, bad. If I ever do, you can just stand up. You can just stand up and, no, don't do that. But, but I mean, I, there's a tendency to lose the personality of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more that could be talked about with that that we won't be able to get into, um, get into today. But part of the reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit is understanding that He is a person and that we get to be in His presence And when we're in his presence, then we can decide whether or not we want to hand the pen over to him and let him write out the story for our day. Let me just give you a little picture of what that looks like for me. For me, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that I end up doing things that are consistent with the character of God that are are not out of my own strength. Now, there's a lot of things I can do in ministry with my job or whatever that may help people or connect with other people. A lot of things I can do that are within my own strength, that are consistent with the character of God, but they're within my own strength. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is when I go beyond that. I get to go beyond that. And I love it when that happens. That there is a a, a whisper, a nudging, an impression, a thought that says, go talk to that person. Something that says, um, give to that particular person or that particular need. Or when I get an impression that um, uh, I am to ask somebody about something specific, ask, ask him about his marriage right now. Um, sometimes it, what it looks like is that I have... I have a strength that I don't have on my own. I have a wisdom that I don't have based on my own abilities. Let me tell you, my wife, she greatly prefers the spirit-filled version of me than the other one. I mean, she tolerates the other one. But, and my kids, they prefer the spirit-filled version of their dad way more than the other one. And what it means in terms of the the spirit-filled is to be filled continuously, is to be in the presence continuously, be reminded on a regular basis. And I think this shows up so clearly in what Paul says after verse 18. Still in uh, that same chapter, that same section, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the benefit of worship, of being in the presence of God, of learning these songs. That's why we provide these CDs we've had over the past couple of years, the track record CDs, so that you can take some of of, of these words and these concepts and, and the reminder of who God is, you can take that with you in your car and on your iPod and when you exercise. That the more time we spend there, the more aware of his presence, the more likely we are going to be handing the pen of our story over to him. The more, we, the more time we spend there, the more likely we're going to do things that are going to make God proud of us. Um, when I exercise and I come home, I don't want to eat a donut. I love donuts, but if there's a donut on the table and I've just exercised, 
There's something about the whole thing that says, why just ruin what I just did in that moment? Give me a couple hours, no problem. Bring on the ice cream, deep fried food, whatever. I'm good. But there in that moment, when I've been in the presence of trying to do something healthy, I don't want to have the donut. It's kind of the, the, the spiral of, the negative spiral of trying to take care of ourselves physically. That when we don't exercise, that, that's, when we, that's when I eat more poorly. And then when I eat more poorly, I don't want to exercise. And so it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. When we choose to not be there, as we say in our sanawats, they're listed in your program and it's part of our, our grid for discipleship. Letter B is be there. Be present with the Holy Spirit. Connect with God on a regular basis, a daily basis, so that there's a regular connection there that reminds you who is with you throughout your days. And that changes how we live our days. That when we choose not to do that, then we make poor choices in life. And when we make poor choices in life, we don't want to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be in, in the presence of God. There's just kind of this, this spiral. And the flip to that is to say, is to say, I want more of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to sing, I want to read, I want to worship, I want to know uh, uh, Scripture so that that can be more a part of my journey which can lead me to making better decisions which can, which can lead me to wanting to be more in His presence. And it allows us to hand the pen of the story of our lives over to God more. And that's what happens is we hand the pen over to God. God doesn't take it. God doesn't take the pen from us. We have to give it to him. He doesn't take it from us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives an us an example of how we are to pray. It's the Lord's Prayer. And he says in there four very powerful words. He says, thy will be done. Thy will be done, God. In other words, your story be told. Thy will be done, not mine. Your story be told, not mine. Jesus models that before we get into all the stuff we want to ask God, before we get to that, we have to get to the point intellectually and emotionally where we can say, okay, before I get to my stuff, your will be done. That's what I want. Your will be done. And Jesus models this in how he interacts with his father. Two contrasting examples. John chapter 11 is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And as he enters into that story, he very calmly and succinctly prays to God and says, God, thanks for hearing my prayer. Father, thanks for hearing these words. He has a few brief uh, words after that, and then, he gets, and then he turns over and he says, Lazarus, raised from the dead. That was a quick journey for Jesus there in that moment to move into thy will be done. Contrast that to the night before Jesus died on the cross, where he spent an entire night, an entire evening, wrestling with God because he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go through it. That is a, that is a big thing for us to be able to, to imagine. It's not sin to be, to be reluctant, to have to go to the Father and say, I need your help with this. He said, let this cup pass from me if there's any way for that to happen. And it took him all night to get to the point of saying, thy will be done. I'll do whatever you ask, Father. In one story, it took him very little time. 
Other story, it took him a whole lot of time. Both stories, he had to get to the point of being able to say, thy will be done. And that's when the pen gets handed over. There are some times in our life where it's easy. It's easy to do that. Oh, yeah. Excellent. No problem. But there are other times where it's way hard. And the point is for us to hand the pen over to God every time. Every time. The past few weeks I've been doing something really foolish, uh, and that is I decided to take swim lessons. And uh, there's kind of a non-spirit-filled reason for me to want to do it. My 10-year-old beat me in a swimming race, and so I decided I need some help. And uh, I love swimming, but I've, I've never been a you know, good sw- I love playing in the water, but I've never been a, you know, a good swimmer. And uh, everybody on, on staff here, they, they enjoy making fun of me uh, because I have to leave uh, two uh, days of the week in the morning and see you going, to, going for your swim lessons. <laughs> and uh, Beth, even this morning, said, are you excited about this morning, baptism? Maybe you could show off a few of your moves. And, and uh, I said, that's not funny. They're mean to me. They're, they're mean to me. So I'm doing this swimming thing, and I'm learning a lot, but it is kicking my butt. Swim, it is so hard. It is so hard. I, I have nightmares about the blue tiles in the bottom of the pool. Because what happens is I'm looking at those tiles and I'm not thinking about the beauty of the weather and how great of an opportunity it is for me to be able to have this experience with other people. All I'm thinking about is I'm going to die. All I think, when I see the blue tiles, I think I'm exercising but I can't breathe. That's a problem for me. I really struggle with it. I'm just looking down. I'm going, where's the end? Where's the end? I just want to get to the the whole uh, end deal. It is so hard for me. And then a week and a half ago, in the midst of all uh, uh, my uh, imperfections as a swimmer, they're trying to teach us to do flip turns, which is a ridiculous (laughs) idea. Because what they're saying is at the end of a length, at the end of 25 meters, when you got nothing left, what I want you to do is take one more big gulp, big gasp of air, then go under the water and do a bunch of twists and flips so that you can get yourself in position to push off to get a few more strokes before you take a breath. You've got to be kidding me. And so uh, I'm, I'm doing this, and I mean, my first few I can do, do the flip turn, and I get up, and, <laughs> and fortunately, I'm tall, so I can at least hit the bottom. Otherwise, the you know, lifeguard would be throwing out the little thing to me and pulling me out and embarrassing me in front of everybody. And... Um, and then while I'm learning the flip turns, there's a guy in the lane right next to me. He's 70 years old. He's just and he's he's making me mad, and I just I just want to hit him with the boogie board. And he's just his name's Jeff, and he just can go on and on, little flip turn, a little flip turn, and and then and then uh, the coach is telling me that uh, that if you uh, to learn how to do a flip turn, maybe do one every three or four. I'm thinking, yeah, I'll kind of round up to like eight or nine, one every eight or nine. Because the thing is, I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll do it when I feel like I've got enough strength or got enough air when I do it. And based on that plan, it's not going to happen very, very often. And Jeff coaches over and Jeff says, hey, when I learned um, how to do flip turns back in the 30s, uh, (laughs) he said, when I learned to do flip turns, he said, I had to tell myself to do it every time. Do it every time, whether you've got air, whether you feel like it or not. Do it every time. And I thought, well, he's, he learned something. 
And so that's what, that's what I got it in my head. And even if I come out of it, I told myself, do it every time. And I can do a flip turn. It's not pretty. But I can, I can do a flip turn. I can do the thing. And I'm learning. I'm growing a thing. What great advice was that? Do it every time. Do it every time. Because in terms of, of developing our character, building our character, in terms of handing the pen that's writing the story of our lives, in terms of handing that over to God, to being spirit-filled and allowing the, the Holy Spirit to tell that story, not to just do it when we feel like it or when it's convenient or when it, when it works for us, but just to do it every time. Yes, again, every time, every time, every time. That's our role. God never takes the pen from us. He never does. He waits for us to hand it over to him. That's the relationship that we have with God. He, he doesn't take our heart. He wants our heart. That's the thing he wants more than anything else. He never takes it from us. He waits for us to give it to him. That's the Christian, that's the Christian story. That's the surrender part. That's the hard part. That's our role. This morning, we're going to wrap up our time with the celebration of baptisms. Thirteen people this morning are saying before all of us in our uh, two celebrations here this Sunday, saying that they are followers of Christ. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit has entered into their bodies. Scripture says that, that the Holy Spirit resides in those who give their lives to Jesus. And so that's what happens. The Holy Spirit is in there. But the Bible also talks about the fact that some followers of Christ are filled with the Spirit and some are not. That's what Paul is saying here. You're believers. He's talking to believers and he says, be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but be filled with Him. And that's another place. That's another ongoing journey. Every time, every day, handing the pen back over to God and saying, thy will be done. Your story be told. Your story be told. So what we're going to do this morning is we celebrate those who are being baptized. We're going to celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit is in them. They are now followers of Christ. Their eternity has been secured. And may we pray over them and pour over them that they would continue to make decisions in their lives of passing the pen over to the author of life.